Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. So Paul, in the New Testament, would pray like this. He said, ever since I heard of your faith, I keep asking the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will come to know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so you would know the hope to which you were called and know the riches of your eternal inheritance and know the power that is at work within us who already believe that power is like the mighty strength which God himself exhibited when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the heavenlies far above every rule and authority, every power and dominion, every title in this age and in the age to come. The word of the Lord. At the center of your religion, if you're Christians, is the idea that Christ is alive and Christ is present. These are not the same thing. Christ is alive, Christ is present. If you doubt this, just look at all of the Gospels. Start with Matthew. The angel said, he is not here, he has risen, Christ is alive. And as they hurried off, suddenly Jesus himself met them. Christ is present. See it? Mark, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He is not here. He has risen. Christ is alive. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Christ is present. Luke, why do you search for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. He's alive. And as the two were walking along the road, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Christ is present. You can believe he is alive without believing he is present. You can believe he is present without thinking he is alive. Liberal theologians have for centuries now believed he was alive, or rather he was present. They just do not think he's alive. They did not believe in a physical bodily resurrection, but they said there's a spiritual resurrection. He's alive in us. Every time someone struggles and then comes back from that struggle, it's like somebody having their own Good Friday and Easter. But it's a spiritual thing. He is alive in the way he influences us, but he is not physically alive, is not seated at the right hand of the Father. The fundamentalists, like the church you grew up in, corrected that by saying, no, no, he is alive and we can prove it with scientific knowledge. On the third day, he arose from the dead. 
and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. He is alive. But is he present? Is he here? So last week, when the clergy said to you, he is risen, you dutifully responded. But a few of you said, how nice for him. And some of you said, if he is risen, where is he? What if the stories of Christ living after Easter were written to answer that question? If the thing we're trying to prove is that Jesus is alive, one story would work. But in fact, there are dozens of stories in the gospel that tell us he was not only alive, he was actually in the room with the early disciples when they were there. And I think that was the genius of the early church. I think they believed not only that Christ was alive, they believed he was in the room with them. They said, we have seen him. For the truth is, you cannot found a religion, even the Christian religion, on the idea that he is alive. It isn't enough. That's a good theology, but there is no fire. The fire comes when you're in a room with him. So we must profess both of those things. Christ is alive. I have seen him. This is what Richard Foster called a spirit-led, spirit-intoxicated, spirit-empowered community. This is what Thomas Kelly called the holy fellowship, the blessed community, the ecclesiola in ecclesia, the little church within a church. This is what the mystics called a hidden priesthood consumed in sacred fire. And this, I think, would change the way we have church today. If when we gathered, we professed not only that Christ was alive, but that we have seen him. We have been in a room with him. Two weeks ago, going into Easter, Gallup told us that for the first time since they've been asking, that's the 1930s, less than 50% of Americans are connected in any way to a church. And the ones that are in those churches are bored and they are tired and they're shifty and they're chasing after every other thing. There is a palpable lack of energy in the services of Christian churches. Which is a funny thing to say if he is present. 
Because do you not believe if Christ himself appeared to a small community of people, that fire would become so contagious you couldn't contain it? What if Jesus was not confined to that little space north of your neck but he got down into your soul and in your blood until you said, I was in a room and he came in. As it is, 80% of evangelicals, that's us, say, quote unquote, I have not felt the presence of Christ in more than a year. And this was before COVID. You can't blame COVID for this. This is our permanent state. And I just think that's a funny thing to say. If the Christ who is alive is also present. I believe you guys that Jesus is present every time we gather. I know that not all of you believe that. You won't say it because this is church. You say nice things inside of church services. But you are in that 80%. In fact, you might say if Jesus were really physically present in this service, we would know it. It would overwhelm us. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus is capable of being present and being missed. This is the history of God's people from the very beginning. Abraham can look at three strangers and think they are only strangers until they leave the camp. And on their way out, one of them kicks the dust and says to the other, you think we should tell Abraham about what we're going to do? <laughs> Abraham overhears this and starts to think, maybe them ain't strangers. Jacob wrestles with a man in the middle of the night. He asked this man, what is your name? He won't answer him. The man turns to leave. Jacob tackles him, tries to hold him. The man says, let me go. And Jacob says, not until you bless me. So the man reaches up and he touches the boy's hip, and he like throws the hip out of socket, so he walks with a limp. And now before the stranger leaves that wrestle, he turns and says to Jacob, your name is no longer Jacob as of today, it is Israel, which means he wrestles with God. And then he disappears. And Jacob comes to his senses and says, surely Yahweh himself was in my presence and I did not know it. Daniel sees a man in the middle of the night 
and mistakes him for just a man. And he turns out being the son of man. In fact, if you read almost all of the appearances of Jesus after the resurrection, nobody notices him. They're looking right at him and they don't notice him. Am I the only person who thinks it's odd that a person can be dead for three days and then come back and you not notice him? I mean, even before the days of embalming, you should notice him. But suddenly, after the resurrection, Jesus seems no longer noticeable by the people who knew him best. Something has changed. This is when I started thinking, wait a minute, maybe these stories of Christ's appearance after the resurrection are there to teach us new ways to see him. God is capable of being present and we are capable of not knowing it. The reason, I suspect, is blindness. <laughs> that's, a, that's a harsh accusation to make to Christians. I, it makes it sound like we're not Christians, but, but the truth is, you guys, I think, I really think this is at the heart of our problem. If you remember that blindness in the Bible is not the inability to see, it's the inability to recognize. You can look right at something and it doesn't register. And if it doesn't register, then the Bible says it's a form of blindness. So when judges, for instance, in Exodus and in Deuteronomy, when they take bribes and they, and they perjure justice, they are said to be blind because they're looking right at the evidence, but they won't see it. They see only the bribe. It's blindness. It's not just deceit. Do you see it? When people take what is created, wood, stone, metals, and make an idol and bow down to it, they're said to be blind because they're looking at what they have made, but they're missing the one who has made it. So they're blind. You get this, I can tell. Whenever you complain that the referee is blind, it's not that he can't see anything. It's that he can't see reality as you see it. When you say that the umpire is blind, you don't mean he can't see the players. You mean <laughs> he can't see the strike zone. When your spouse asks, are you blind? She <laughs> means not, can't you see anything? She means how? Can you look right at something and not see it? So blindness is not an inability to see. It's a failure to grasp reality. 
what is plain to everyone else. Even believers have this. And so the prophet Isaiah would say they are ever hearing, never understanding, wait for it, ever seeing, never perceiving. Hadn't dawned on them. They look right at it and not get it. So in Isaiah 42, 19, the prophet says, of God's people, listen to it. Who is blind but my servant? Who is deaf but the one that I have sent? Do you see what he is saying? Blindness and deafness now is not something that just unbelievers have. Asking Jesus to forgive your sins and to make you Christian does not cure blindness overnight. You can still believe in him and be in his presence and not know it. If you doubt that, look at the road to Emmaus. Here are two that have been with him from the beginning. And when Jesus comes up behind them and starts talking, they cannot recognize him. So they can see him, but they can't recognize him. By the end of the story, when Jesus breaks the bread, suddenly their eyes are opened. Now they recognize him. Oh, that's him. And he vanishes from their sight. So in some ways, the road to Emmaus is a journey from blindness, when you can see something and not recognize it, to full sight where you can recognize something even after it has vanished from your sight. That, the road to Emmaus, maybe was written not to prove to us that Jesus is alive. No, no, we know that. It might be written to say, this is how Christ appears appears to people even today. This story is to be relived again and again every day of our lives. And this is how you see him. For the moment he broke the bread, they recognized him. Doesn't this strike you as odd? How can you look right at someone and not know it is him and then suddenly when he does in action, you recognize in his action what you can't see in his face. Oh, that's him. And the moment that happens, their eyes are opened, they recognize him, and he, in the Greek, begins to disappear. He starts vanishing, even as their eyes are open. And the moment that happens, all the Catholics in the room are like, yes, yes, now, Pastor Steve, you're getting it. Christ is present in the Eucharist. Yes. But that's not what they say. The moment this happens, they do not say, 
Isn't that something, how we recognized him in the breaking of the bread? No, no. They say, did not our hearts burn with fire when he walked along the road and talked with us? When he opened the scriptures and made sense of the scriptures to us, did not our hearts set fire? They never even mentioned the breaking of the bread until they get up and run back to the other community, the 11 that are in Jerusalem. And then while they are there, they're starting to say, it's true, Christ is alive and he has appeared. He is present with Simon. And then they start to say, yes, and we recognized him in the breaking of the bread. And right in the middle of this conversation, this is no accident, he appears again. Here's what I think is happening. The way that Christ appears to us today is no longer in our eyes. He has vanished from our sight. But people, there are better ways to see someone than just with our eyes. You already know this. You can know something (laughs) in your knower. And it's a better way of knowing something than just to see it with your eyes. You already believe this. So after the resurrection, Christ begins to appear, not just in things, but through things. These things become almost icons not just spiritual disciplines. We don't look at them. We look through them to see the presence of Christ. And what are they? I think there's four. Relax, I'm not going to speak on these today. One of them is Christ appears in the company of people that walk with us along the road. Did not our hearts burn when he talked with us along the way? How do I know it's him if I can't see him with my eyes? Well, you listen for his voice. He appears to us when someone opens the scriptures and makes sense of them. Did not our hearts burn when he opened the scriptures? That was when... We noticed something. The third is we notice him at the table. It's when he broke the bread. Our eyes were opened and we recognized him. And fourth, we notice him in the witnessing, the celebration. When the community comes together and they said, it is true, Christ is alive. 
And I have been in a room with him. Suddenly he is there again. Now it occurs to you when I say these things that you already do all four of these things. You already have people that have joined you on the journey. You're already somewhat active in the Bible. You've taken communion once or twice a month. And you've been in circles where people are saying, God has spoken to me. But here's what I think, you guys. I think we have to do these things with more intentionality and purpose. And we have to do them with other people. And we have to do each of them in the context of the other three. So we already have people who are walking the journey with us. But we still think they're just people. The scripture is read and we think if it doesn't apply to my life today, well then it's not relevant. And when we take communion, we take it as a line of individuals. Do we not? Coming up to the table, social distance, masks on, when's my turn? But what if we took it as a body, not just a line of individuals? Might we take it differently? Might we not perceive Christ is in our presence? And if we're in a circle or a Bible study and someone starts to talk about how Christ spoke to them and how they were in a room with him, if we didn't just think, oh, how nice for them, that person must have a different life. But if we saw them as the voice of Christ inviting us to have that same kind of conversation, we too might walk away and say, I don't know what it was, but my heart was on fire. Today, I want you to focus only on this. There are people around you every day of your life joining you in the journey. Sometimes they're here just for a mile or two and sometimes it's the whole thing. And you're mistaking them for someone else. They look like a friend. They look like a stranger or else I would recognize them. I've just told us we wouldn't. C.S. Lewis writes, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal, and their lives are to ours like the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. 
next to the blessed sacrament itself. Your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. And if he is your Christian neighbor, then he is holy in almost the same way. For in him, Christ is the glorifier and the glorified. Glory himself is truly hidden. There are people right now who have joined you on your journey. And like that stranger on the road to Emmaus, there's something different about them. They accompany you without trying to control you. They ask good questions without trying to lead you. And they listen without trying to fix you. They confront you without embarrassing you. They inform you without hurrying you. They're already there. About a year and a half ago, on a walk back from the lake in Holland, I came by a lady that was laying on the boardwalk. She was half conscious. Next to her was a woman standing upright, maybe early 50s she looked. So I stopped. I said, what, what, what happened? She said, well, she said, I, I don't know her. I think she's been at the beach all day and I, I think she's probably had too much and she's just lost everything. I said, oh my goodness, do you need some help? The lady standing said, no, I'm a nurse. I've, I think I've got this. Still, I said again, do you need some help? She said, no, I've made a call. I have help coming on the way. I think the best thing to do is just to leave her lie here. She hasn't heard anything that I can tell. Uh, and then they'll get her to a safe place. I said one last time, are you sure that you don't need some help. We can move her. She said, no, I think we just let her, let her stay. I said, all right. I got back on the trail and I started walking home. And you guys, immediately, I started thinking sometimes we are the nurse and sometimes we're the lady on the boardwalk. I started thinking, I really did. This is why walks take so long for me. <laughs> There's a place in Matthew chapter 25 where in that great and final day, some come to Jesus and say, wherein did we see you naked and clothe you hungry and feed you thirsty and give you drink in prison and visit you? And Jesus said, if you've done it, to the least of these, you've done it to me. If you've helped the lady on the boardwalk, then you've helped me. Agreed? I thought you would. But if you're the lady on the boardwalk, you yourself could get before Christ one day and say, wherein? Did you send me someone? 
Wherein was I hungry and you fed me in prison and you visited me? When was I ever naked and you gave me clothing? And he could say, well, for starters, it was the nurse on the boardwalk. You thought that was just the nurse. That was me. And before I got home, you guys, I started looking over my entire life and I was shocked to find the people that God has put around me. People I thought were doing only what they wanted to do. It never dawned on me that he sent them. Sometimes they are friends and sometimes they are strangers. Oh, he comes in so many different ways. He can be right in front of me and I miss him. I think we ought to pay more attention to people that are already around us. Jesus. Thank you. Gosh, my life is full of people that I thought were just um, friends, that I thought were just showing a little pity. But you've surrounded me with people, good people. Some I knew, some I didn't. And they said things you yourself would have said or did through them. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Amen.